The science regarding gastric emptying is still evolving, and just because we don't understand all that we want to know, it doesn't mean we have to revert to astrology or supernatural explanations. And believe me, I don't even believe in astrology because I'm a Scorpio, which makes me naturally skeptical. But the point is, is that there's no final truth in science. Science is about discovering the truth, and it's not that science changes its opinion, but rather science learns more and therefore can reveal more Yet, I don't think anybody is satisfied with gastric emptying diseases as far as what we know. And despite gastric emptying disorders being so frustrating for both patients and doctors, our knowledge actually is slowly and progressively improving. In the last lecture, I addressed that chronic, too slow, or too fast gastric emptying raises numerous clinical problems. And then I also noted that transient Gastric emptying issues are sometimes part of a counter-regulatory beneficial response. So let's say you have acute hypoglycemia. It's beneficial that your body has a transient fast gastric emptying to try and raise the blood sugar. And likewise, if you have hyperglycemia, it's understandable that there would be delayed gastric emptying to attempt to postpone and then limit the height of a postprandial hyperglycemic peak. Meaning if your blood sugar is high, we don't want to release a lot of food into the intestines and have even higher blood sugar. So part of the human condition is that we can place blame on the wrong thing and have resulting misplaced fears that arise. It's easy to see that when we're looking in retrospect. So for example, you know, whatever, humans feared the accused witches and not the psychopaths burning them alive at the stake. And likewise, it's not until recently that we are starting to appreciate that we may have had a lot of misplaced blame for abdominal symptoms on gastric emptying. There's no doubt that diabetics suffer a lot from upper abdominal symptoms. There has to be etiologies and pathologies to cause those symptoms, but the question is whether gastric emptying is the cause, or if it is, how often. Subjectively, I've seen diabetics get devices like gastric pacemakers that didn't help and sometimes made the symptoms worse. And that's not an argument that there's no place for them. And I see patients suffering so much for so long that I'm not opposed to an invasive attempt to try and obtain some improvement. But that being said, the following quote caught me by surprise because I didn't appreciate it as much until I read it. And so this quote comes from page 1749 in the New England Journal of Medicine on May 6, 2021. And the quote is, The available studies do not support a causal relationship between motor abnormalities and symptoms in diabetic gastroparesis. The most telling argument against gastric motor abnormalities in diabetic gastroparesis is the fact that patients with diabetes and upper abdominal symptoms have normal, delayed, or rapid gastric emptying. And that's the end of the quote. But it's a challenging thing to hear from many of us that for decades would place a ton of blame of abdominal symptoms for diabetics on gastric motor abnormalities, particularly blaming it on delayed gastric emptying. With a lot of these patients, we try to go the extra mile. I went the extra mile yesterday, but that was solely because I missed my exit and had to turn around. But in general, when medical professionals see abdominal symptoms in diabetics, they try and go that extra mile when all other diagnostics have not shown an obvious etiology after scoping, CT scans, labs, 
all kinds of things. And I think it's fair to say that almost every one of those patients has had repeat scopes and repeat CT scans, and they continue to not show the etiology. And then just because a nuclear scan shows delayed gastric emptying or rapid gastric emptying doesn't mean you just nailed the etiology of that person's symptoms. I mean, it's understandable. It's our nature, I think, for all of us to hang our hat on any abnormality that we can find, particularly when we've been frustrated that all of the workup that costs tens of thousands of dollars did not show an abnormality, which is sometimes embarrassing that we can't give a reason after all that effort and expense. And more important, we're worried about that person's continued suffering. And I'm not sure where it's all going to lead, meaning the science of this, where it's going to lead, but it seems inflammation and damage to nerve receptors is at least going to be part of the explanation for some patients regarding their dyspepsia. Yet the flip side of all this is there probably is a small percentage of patients where truly it is something like gastroparesis, meaning subjectively, and so much of this is subjective because we're not great at the science of gastric emptying, but subjectively, I've put some people on motility agents and it helps a lot where they show improvement regarding nausea and vomiting and pain and fullness. Other times I use a motility agent and it doesn't do anything or makes them worse. And when we're speaking of diabetics, I think the other underappreciated fact of all this is that the most common cause of chronic gastroparesis is idiopathic, meaning we do not know the cause. With the obesity crisis worsening, maybe diabetes will become the most common cause very soon. But also remember that autoimmune diseases can destroy nerves and muscle. And in young women, gastric motility disorders are often autoimmune sometimes even if they have diabetes. And then there is this post-viral group who get the virus of whatever type and the gastric motility is permanently changed. And we are in our infancy of really trying to figure that out and learning about that. So there's still a lot of things we can do other than just focusing on diabetes, though it's important to focus on diabetes, meaning we can look at a medication list and if possible, just medications that can cause symptoms like opioids and many others. And, you know, diabetics, of course, we do want to control the sugar. That is still very, very important as hyperglycemia is toxic to nerves and to so many other tissues. So blood sugar control of hyperglycemia is particularly important in patients with abdominal symptoms. Even if it doesn't make them better to control the hyperglycemia, you don't want things to get worse. And then one more big underappreciated issue with all of this is the issue of global dysmotility. Sometimes we feel like the manager walking up to the pitcher mound and the pitcher nor the manager is thinking this is going to be an uplifting discussion. And that's often the case even if we are convinced of our diagnosis of gastric dysmotility being an issue because it often means there are other issues beyond the stomach, a global dysmotility of the small intestine, the large intestine. Doesn't matter what cause it, meaning if an autoimmune disease is causing a gastric issue, it can often be an issue throughout the intestinal tract. Same thing with diabetes. Just fixing the stomach is therefore often unsatisfying. It gets back to the whole thing that we can be prone to providing answers when we haven't even asked the right questions. And just because things like gastric pacemakers have not always yielded results we wanted, Maybe that's because we're just focusing just on the stomach and not the entire 
GI system as a whole. And also, it doesn't mean that more modern invasive techniques won't be better. Techniques. Techniques. I suppose pronunciation still counts for something. That's not my fault. I just recently got a vaccine and it made me artistic. And as a result, I just want to paint nature pictures like of the National Park Yosemite. But getting back to what I was trying to say is that there will be not only medicines, but invasive techniques I think will work much better. For instance, there's something that is now starting to be used called a POP procedure. This is exciting, and I hope the data on that doesn't just show improvement in gastric motility, but also improvement in symptoms. And what does POP stand for? Well, per oral, that's the P-O of POP, and pyloromyotomy. Basically, where a scope is passed through your mouth into your stomach under anesthesia, and then the pylorus muscle is cut. Again, won't be all things to all people, particularly if there's global dysmotility, but if there is something like pylorospasm as a mechanism for the gastroparesis, it's yet another example of how we are moving forward, being more targeted for certain populations, and why there's still a lot of hope in gastric emptying disorders. And that's what the entire field of medicine is all about, meaning we have disappointment in just about everything we deal with to some degree, but we never lose infinite hope that we can make things better. So with that, I'll leave you until next time. This is Dr. Gil Parat, and I will catch you on the next round.